Amen. This morning we take a break and through the Advent season from our series, as you know, if you've been with us, it is our practice to go through whole books of the Bible, but during this Advent season, a joyous time, we take a look at a uh, familiar passages that we oftentimes know well and look at the Advent, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in that way, we are a little bit more topical than usual, but our scriptures come from various passages this morning, from Genesis and 1 Timothy and from the book of Hebrews. You can see that on page 5. From Genesis, the Lord God said to the serpents, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. First Timothy chapter 2, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. And from Hebrews, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise, the eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Amen. You may be seated. No doubt this last week the Christmas preparations have begun, although there are some of you that are overachievers that have been preparing for weeks, perhaps even months. You may call it being proactive. I call it cheating. Christmas preparations shouldn't happen until after Thanksgiving. But nevertheless, you are well into it. The mad dash is on, the tree is up, the home is decorated, and no doubt there is Christmas music playing in your home. And it is a wonderful and joyous time of the year. But what will it take this year to make it a complete Christmas? When you think about that question, there's probably a lot of thoughts that come to mind. You may think, well, it's going to take the house and the tree to be perfectly decorated. It may mean having all the kids or perhaps the grandkids at home with you. It means having the perfect Christmas gifts picked out for all of your loved ones. It means having mom's favorite Christmas pie. It means having Christmas PJs for all of the kids. The list could go on and on and on. This time is full of traditions and memories. And that's what makes it a special time of year. But if all of that is there and is in place, but yet we do not have Christ, then something is definitely missing. If you can check off all the boxes of what makes Christmas Christmas, you'll still be disappointed and let down. Because as wonderful as all of those things are, and they are, those things ultimately cannot fulfill or make us complete. They were never meant to. We weren't made for presents and stockings and cranberry sauce. We are made for God. And if God is missing from our Christmas, then Christmas is incomplete at best. 
But what we celebrate and focus on this Advent and every Advent is that God indeed is the center of our celebration. Because God came in the form of a baby. The Word, the eternal God, became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And that, my friends, that Christ makes Christmas complete because Christ encompasses the whole of Christmas, as cliche as it may be, but nonetheless true. You cannot spell Christmas without Christ. And the reality is that if you have Christ, if you focus upon Christ, then your Christmas is complete. You have all that you need. In fact, you can go without all of those other things, and yet your Christmas will be complete. Why? Because you have a complete Christ. That is why we are calling this Advent season the complete Christmas. It's a complete Christmas because we have a complete Christ. That is what we have. Even if all of our parts of Christmas may be spot on, or perhaps they are missing or not there at all, our Christmas reality does not change because of who Christ is. And to see how complete Christ truly is, this year we're going to look at his various offices, his roles, his functions as our Savior, namely Christ as our mediator, as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king, all in preparation for Christmas, so that our Christmas won't just be mere sentimentality, but it would be founded on the depths of Christ and how complete we are in him. And so this morning, We're going to look at Christ as our mediator. And we'll see it in two points, the need for a mediator, and then Jesus Christ as that mediator. First, the need for a mediator. At Christmas time, it is so easy just to look at those passages in Matthew and Luke and read those birth narratives that we know so well, and that is good, and no doubt we will do that, but to do just that is to neglect three-fifths of the Bible. To do so would be like starting at chapter 15 in a 25-chapter book and saying that those first chapters really don't mean anything. They're really not important. Yes, the end of the book, no doubt, is the most exciting. It is the most thrilling. That's why you would read the entirety of the book. But the first chapters set the stage. They lay out the meaning. And in so doing, they make the end so much better. And the Bible is no different. To understand the whole of Scripture, we must understand it from the beginning all the way to the end. And to best understand it, we must understand it in the terms of covenant. That covenant defines our relationship with the Lord, of his meaning and of his advent, of his coming. As Pastor Myers noted earlier, that our series 
this year is coming from the Westminster Confession and Catechism. It is that catechism, which is a summary of the Bible in question and answer format. And we read question 36 and 40 today. And you see in verse 36 or question 36 that says, when it asks, who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? You understand that to understand this idea of Christ being mediator, you must also have an understanding of covenants. If you've been with us in our Sunday school series lately, then you've gotten a fair dose of covenant theology. And it's so crucial, if you've been a part of it, so crucial to our understanding to God and to ourselves and to the whole of redemption. And it truly demonstrates why we need a mediator. And so this morning, let me give you a brief excursus of the Old Testament from a covenant perspective. And to do so, like I said, you need to start at the beginning, at the very beginning, at Genesis chapter 1 and its creation, that God made all things, and it was good. He made the heavens and the sun. He made the land and the sea. He made the fish and the birds and all the creatures of the land. But there was one creature unique, distinct, different than all the rest. And that was mankind in the form of Adam. God said, I'm going to make one in my own image. And that's what makes us different. That's what makes us distinct. That makes us unlike the rest of creation because he stamped his image upon us. It means in part that he made us with dominion to rule over the earth. He made us with rationality to think and to reason. He made us with language in order to communicate. He made us with creativity to make things beautiful and to make things new. He made us with civilization to live in relationship and community with one another. And all of those things make us distinct from the rest of creation. But in addition to all of those things, he gave us the very best, which was he gave us himself. He gave us the ability to have relationship, fellowship with our creator, God. And we see that already in the garden, don't we, with the intimacy that Adam and Eve had with the Lord. So much so that it says that Adam and Eve knew the sound of God walking in the garden. That was not an unfamiliar sound to them, which means that they had done that. They had walked with God in the garden. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful reality that they had. No doubt it is the reality that we look forward to in the new heavens and the new earth. Adam and Eve had it at the beginning of creation. And with that relationship, they had this close and intimate relationship with God that was built upon trust and built upon obedience. And that trust and obedience was symbolized in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said to them they could eat of any tree, but they could not eat of that particular tree. 
And so you see that this relationship that God had with Adam and Eve was a relationship known as covenant. It was unique to mankind. We would even say not even the angels had or have this type of relationship with God. Let you know what happened. Eve was tempted by the serpent. It says that when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Eve was tempted by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The same three areas that we are still tempted with this very day, she gave in and so did her husband, Adam. They listened to Satan rather than to God. They trusted themselves and their own thinking and their own rationale rather than their loving creator, God. And you know the rest of the story that the earth was cursed. And you see all of this in Genesis chapter 3. We see the evil and the sin and the pain and the sweat and ultimately the death. And I tell you that there is no better picture an explanation of the world's problems than Genesis chapter 3. Not just then, today. And that was written thousands of years ago. Mankind is still the same today. If you think of all the struggles, you can look back and say it is evil, it is sin, it is pain, it is sweat, and ultimately it is death. Paul summarizes it in Romans chapter 5 when he said sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sins. That is the bad news. But the good news is that God was pleased to make another covenant. But before we go into that, you understand that there should be no other covenants. God said to Adam and Eve, when you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And death was brought to all man because of their sin. But understand that God would have been completely and utterly justified to have struck them down when the first morsel touched their lips. God could have and should have instantaneously snatched their life away. And there would have gone mankind, and rightfully so. And yet God did not snatch their life away in that moment. Rather, he extended grace. And understand that that grace goes on to us even this very day, understand that every second of every day that passes is all of grace. That grace is extended all the way to you and to me, the very fact that we can rise out of bed and to have this day is of grace. The very fact that we can celebrate Christmas 2021 is all by God's grace. The very fact that air enters into our lungs at this very moment is all by grace. Not only would God have been justified in taking Adam and Eve's life, he would have absolutely and utterly been justified in taking yours. 
in every sin in which you sin? Do you understand that justice would be hell and death and eternal damnation? We don't deserve any of God's goodness. It's all of grace. And so you might ask, why did he do that? Why did he extend that grace to Adam and Eve? Why does he extend that grace to us? Because he was going to send another. Another that would be like Adam pre-fall. One that would be sinless. One that would be pure. One that would be innocent. One who would remain that way. And one who would ultimately fulfill the covenant. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we also see that hope. We see that glimmer of light. We read it earlier when it says that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It is called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, the first preaching of the gospel, the first preaching of Christ. He said that there is going to be a seed that is going to come that is going to accomplish redemption. And you could say that the rest of the Old Testament and even of the New Testament is all a fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. It is all fulfillment of the covenants. And so you see in Genesis chapter 3, you see the problem as well as you see the solution. And beginning with that woman, Eve, that was extended grace from her seed would come this covenant line of descendants. And that there would be one seed, one descendant who would serve the crushing blow to Satan, to, to sin, and to the curse of the earth. And that's why we trace the line all the way to Mary. And to that wonderful pronouncement of the angel Gabriel that she would be chosen and had been chosen to give birth to this chosen one, the long-awaited Messiah. And what type of Messiah would he be? Well, we see in part that he would be a mediator. And that is what we see in point number two, Jesus Christ as that mediator. Now, I don't want to assume that you know what that term means. Literally, it means of one that mediates. Mediation is needed, as you know, when there are two people or two groups or two nations at conflict with one another, at odds with each other. And they have mediation or they have a need of a mediator, one that stands in between one that stands in the gap, for what purpose? The purpose of bringing peace. The purpose of bringing reconciliation between these warring groups. Now that's where the human analogy falls apart. Because when we think of mediation, if it be between two people or two groups or two nations... We'd say both sides are at fault. Both sides have rightful grievances with each other. I do a type of mediation all the time. It's called parenting. And in my home, between these warring factions called children and siblings, I've never seen a squirmish 
in our home where both sides didn't have a rightful complaint against the other. I've yet to meet a child that was completely innocent, even though they always claim their innocence, and where the problem was completely 100% the other person. And I'm sure I never will. But that is not the case with our conflict with God. We can never have rightful complaints. We can never lodge grievances against God. Why? Because there are none. He has fulfilled his side of the relationship completely. But when we think about ourselves, when we flip the script, so to speak, does God rightfully have any grievances against us? Well, that's a different story, isn't it, my friends? Because he does. And not only does he have one or two or a hundred or a thousand or a million, that list of grievances goes infinitely on. In other words, we have no charge to lay at the feet of God. But he has rightfully laid every charge upon us. Our condemnation is just, and we are silent. We have no defense. We are guilty as charged. That was Job's experience, wasn't it? When he began to question God about his experiences, and you begin to hear in his questioning that he begins to imply that this is somehow unfair, that God has given him the short side of the stick. And it's amazing how much he holds back and for how long he holds back, because if we were in Job's situation, oh, we would have laid those grievances down real quick. Do you remember how God responds to him. He says, who are you, O man, that you should question me? Instead, I will question you. And for several chapters, he begins to lay those questions upon Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where are you when the birds of the air need to be fed? Where are you when the sun rises and the sun sets? God is not on trial, but we are. And we are guilty as charge. And you remember Job's response. It's a fitting one, isn't it? He says, behold, I am of nothing. What shall I answer you? I lay my hands upon my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. He understood his situation before God and understood it rightly. That Job, even though he was a righteous and blameless man, understood that he had no right to question God. And how much more should we remain silent before our God? But do you not see, my friends, that's what makes the mediation of Christ, the, the coming of Christ, Christmas so amazing, is God did not need mediation. We needed mediation. We were the wrongdoers. 
We were the ones that needed reconciliation. We were the breakers of the peace. As G.K. Chesterton once said, what is wrong with the world today? When he was asked that question, what is wrong with the world today? His answer was, I am. I am what's wrong with the world today. God is not the problem. I am. And since I am the problem, I cannot be the solution. You cannot be the solution. That's where all man-made, humanistic, humanitarian efforts to make the world a better place fall so short. Because we are the problem, we cannot be the ultimate solution. As I likened it the other night on, on Sunday nights, a few sermons ago, I said it's like making your bed, but doing so with muddy hands. In the one sense, you might think that you're doing something good. You're making your bed, but in the process, you're making it worse. You're muddying it up. And that is true of all human efforts, isn't it? And so the solution cannot be found in us. It's found in him. And the amazing reality about the gospel in general and about Christmas in particular is that God was 0% of the problem, and yet he's 100% of the solution. He provided the solution in providing himself, the sending of his son at Christmas to be the mediator. That's why it says in our catechism, the eternal son of God in the fullness of time became man. He took on flesh. He became what he was not, to fulfill what we could not. That is the miracle of Christmas. And such, Jesus, as the God-man, was and is the perfect mediator, the perfect go-between, the one that stands in between God and man, both as God and man, in two entire distinct natures, and yet one person forever. Christ is the answer. He is the solution. And why we so often fail to recognize how amazing that reality is, because we really do not understand the problem. Our greatest problem is not rising inflation. Our greatest problem is not the next COVID variant. Our next problem is not having enough money for Christmas. Our greatest problem is that we need to be reconciled to a holy God and we have no solution in ourselves. Left to ourselves, we would sink further and further into the abyss of hell. But God as the Apostle Paul put it. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive in Christ. And then Paul adds, by grace you have been saved. It is all of grace. It is all of his great love in which he loved us. That's why we quote John 3.16. That God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. He sent the mediator, the God-man, Christ Jesus. 
and in crumbing. Christ didn't come and just say, can't you all just get along? Can't you all just do better? He doesn't even come and say, here, I'll show you how to do better. No, he was the perfect mediator because he was the mediation. Namely, in his body broken and his blood shed. The holy God, the judge of the world, demanded justice. And do you understand, Jesus was the justice. Through his pierced and lifeless body, he brought peace and reconciliation and restoration of that relationship and the fulfillment of the covenants. And do you understand that was costly? In order for us to be made right with God, in order for us to have the blessings of life forevermore, Christ became the curse. He became one of the cursed creatures that he took on flesh. He endured the strife of sin. He felt the sting of thorns. He sweat, not drops of sweat, but of blood. He underwent the bruising of the serpent of Satan himself. He hung upon the cursed tree. He tasted the dust of death. Why? All for sinful wretches like you and me. But now, my friends, now, my friends, there is peace. Because he brought the two together in himself. He provided that peace that was missing. And that's what the angels wanted to proclaim. On that day, that night, they came to the shepherds. What is it that they sang? Glory to God on the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom his favor rests. Do you hear their message? It's a message now of peace and of favor. No longer of wrath. No longer of condemnation. Do you want to understand your relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to understand your relationship with God? It is one now of peace. And not only of peace, but of favor. As God looks upon you, he looks upon you with favor like you look upon one of your children with love and empathy and compassion and mercy. And God does that infinitely so. He brings peace. And it's not just a temporal peace. It's not just a temporary truce or ceasefire. This is an eternal peace for all eternity. That we are made right with God through the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, my friends, what makes Christmas so complete. It's the eternal gift of a complete Christ who reconciles and brings peace with God. As we close, look back in your worship God at that catechism question. That last one, why was it required that the mediator be God and man in one person? I want you to focus on that last part that says that he must be God and man so that he might, through his work, be accepted of God for us. 
and relied upon by us. We know that that mediation, that Christ as the mediator was accepted by God. But is that last clause true of you this day? Are you relying upon Christ as that mediator? Is that mediator for you? And are you fully dependent upon him in order to have that peace with the holy God? It might be so easy for us to say yes, but are we relying upon Christ this day fully? Or am I relying upon Christ and my health? Or Christ and my provisions? Or Christ and my money? Or Christ and the right circumstances that would make me happy? Or is it Christ and my own intellect or wit or charm? Is it Christ and my own good deeds? Is it Christ and my own good hard works? Is it Christ and anything else? I hope we would banish any of those thoughts this day. And we would say, I am relying upon Christ and Christ alone. That I'm relying upon Christ, period, full stop. Not just for salvation, but for life itself. Why? Because I have nothing. I contribute nothing. I only contribute to the problem. Only Christ is the answer. He is the solution. That's why we sing that wonderful hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless I look to thee for grace. Foul I fly to the fountain. Wash me, Savior, or I die. See, if we have Christ, then we have all. Christ became man so that man might be made like Christ. Perfect. Righteous holy. That's what Peter says in that strange phrase that we would become partakers of the divine nature. That God's righteousness, the righteousness of God would now become ours. And that we would live eternally more. That's the mystery of Christmas, my friends. It's Emmanuel. God with us, God in us, that blessed union that is made possible through the reconciliation of Christ as the perfect mediator. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen.